0: open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first three verses of Ephesians. You know, um, you, you are probably aware of this, the whole craft beer movement is extremely popular right now, The places even in Downingtown popping up all over, and oftentimes when I go into these places, there's a Ben Franklin quote on the wall. And Ben Franklin was was witty, uh, extremely intelligent, and he had a way of saying things that really sticks with us, just little short phrases. But something that you may have heard of this, but Ben Franklin is the author of this quote. He said, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Now, you're probably sitting here, maybe you're a guest and you're like, oh my goodness. He 's going beer out of the out of the gates on a sermon from Ephesians. Where is he getting this where i 'm getting this is that Ben Franklin wrote something that many might actually b- believe is true, and there is a truth in it to some degree but couldn't you couldn't you walk through every uh, every business in Downingtown where where people that make beer would say beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. But couldn't McDonald's, I'm loving it, say fast food is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy? Couldn't um, those uh, lowriders, sells bikes, couldn't they say that bikes are proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy? Couldn't they say exercise is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. The reality of it is this. You could erase beer and write anything in there that that makes you happy. Anything. You could write good things in there. You could write things in there that you're ashamed of. The question I want us to wrestle with the next four weeks is what is it that leads to not just happiness, because happiness can be a superficial thing, but what the Bible refers to it as joy. Is there anything that, that will satisfy you in a sustaining way, a deep satisfaction? Is there anything? Because I believe that that's what God made us for. We, we could say Vacations are proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. The, the, the Jeep dealer might say Jeeps are proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Any, anyone that's selling technology would say that technology is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Australia would say that tacos are proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Some people would say Being physically fit is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. How would you fill in that blank? One of my favorite quotes, and I think it's one of my favorite quotes because I don't quite understand it. Flannery O'Connor said this, Picture me with my ground teeth stalking joy because, something like this, it's a dangerous quest. What in the world does she mean by that? She's stalking joy. Every single one of us is stalking joy. You're trying to find it. You're looking for something. you filled in that blank, believing that it would give you joy. And if you don't fill that blank in with the right word, or I might say right person, you're going to spend your days ultimately dissatisfied. Because there is someone who came to give you a deep and abiding joy. You were made for Him. And as Augustine said, you won't find that joy until you find it in Christ. And that is what is getting Paul so excited. I am preaching on joy because I need some. So I hope that you'll join me In this quest, the next four weeks, let's stalk joy. Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Listen to God's holy word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's try to get our minds, for the next 35 minutes, let's try to get our minds around what Paul is talking about here. He used the word blessed three times. If you're writing in your Bible or you're able to mark in your Bible, I want you to mark this. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing joy is found in the blessings of God joy is found in spiritual blessings and so the title of this morning's message is the joy of blessing or the joy of spiritual blessing Paul in this letter to the Ephesians just to give you a little bit of background is answering two primary questions These are the questions he's trying to answer as he writes this letter to the Ephesians. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? And then the second question he's answering is what does this being in Christ demand of us? So what is it? That's the questions. And it's helpful to know that's his overarching theme. In this first chapter, which we're going to be studying together for the next four weeks, he's really addressing the first question, what does it mean to be in Christ? In fact, if you read the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, you'll find very few, maybe one, and even that's a question, action for you to do in response. What you will find in the first three chapters is an answer Of the question what does it mean to be in Christ then he spends the last three chapters of the letter talking about the demands of it and in the last three chapters of the letter of Ephesians you will find many imperatives things that we must do in response to the indicative all that God has done the theme of the letter of Ephesians is the mystery of Christ and the church The, the book of Ephesians is to be read in this way. It's not so much what we'll do with it, but what the letter of Ephesians will do with us and what it will do to us. And one of the things, if you understand it rightly, is it will lead to joy. It will lead to joy. The mood of the opening of this letter is joy, it actually reads like a song. It's one long, incredibly long sentence. You read, we've put some punctuation in there, but in the original, the Greek, Paul had no punctuation. It was just one long, run on, rattling uh, uh, expression of gushing worship to Christ for all of the joy that he had in Christ. That's what Paul's doing. I preached through, we preached through the entire letter of Ephesians many years ago. We started that series in the movie theater. We started the letter of Ephesians in the movie theater. And these are not the same messages. These are, I'm just, these are an isolated look at Ephesians 1. But when I preached through Ephesians, the first part of Ephesians, I'll never forget that as I was reading it and preaching through it, a man in the movie theater, remember the movie theater was stadium seating, so, so the, the further in the back you were, the higher up you, you were. And so I was down on the ground preaching, and as I was preaching through Ephesians 1, I was reading through it, this man got up in the middle of the preaching, and he stood up in his seat, and he lifted his hands up into the air. And he stood there for the entire sermon. And I had to talk to him afterwards. (laughs) What is that? What is going on? The joy in my heart, he said, that was welling up as you were reading this, book, this letter and explaining it, so filled my heart that I felt like I can't shout. I don't want to be interruptive, but I'm sitting in the back. No one's going to be distracted. I just feel like I need to stand and I need to lift my arms up to Jesus. And that's what He did. Maybe some of you will stand. Maybe some of you will have some kind of response In your heart. I'm telling you, no matter how you feel today, what God wants to do is to do something in your heart. You can't read these, you can't read this and not begin to enter into whatever joy it is that Paul's talking about. And let me remind you of this Paul is writing this letter from a jail cell. Where do you see what joy he has? Where do, you, where do you take it in? Where do we kind of look closely at these things to see what could make a man who is in jail being deprived of all material blessing write a letter like this? Well, he knows joy. So I want to talk about four joys of spiritual blessing. And the first one is this. It's the joy of of a new identity. The joy of a new identity. And you're going to see something. There is nothing amazing about this sermon except that it's God's word. I'm just going to walk through this thing. I'm just going to show you. You say the joy of an I- a new identity, where do you get that? Well, I get it right out of the first word Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Do you know something? Paul's name wasn't always Paul. Paul was Saul. And he was not an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God when he started out. For Paul, this letter begins with personal celebration. He begins his letter by highlighting what God has done in him. It's a celebration of self, but get this, not self as we think of celebration of self. It's a celebration of who God has made him to be. It's a celebration of who he now is in Christ. Paul was not always what he describes himself to be now. He could not have said this Early on in his life, that he was an apostle, that he would have called himself Paul and that he would have defined himself as an apostle or a messenger, a sent one of Christ Jesus by the will of God. There's so much there in that first phrase. We could teach a whole sermon on it. At the beginning of Christianity, Paul was not an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul was a militant, radical opposer to Christ Jesus. Paul has on his rap sheet, Paul has the blood of Christians on his hands. He stood by. The book of Acts tells us, you can look at it. Acts chapter, well, you don't need to look at it. I'm going to take you to Acts in a minute, but I'm just going to show you something. When Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church, was martyred, it says that they stoned him. Then they cast him out. Acts 7, verse 58. They cast him out of the city, they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. He was an accomplice. I'll watch your clothes. You go take care of this awful, horrific deed. You imagine watching a stoning? You think you've seen something horrible in your days. You imagine watching that? Someone gets stones thrown at them until they die. A human. Paul was celebrating it. Paul thought that that was his mission to oppose Christ. He's on a murderous mission. And on that mission in Acts chapter 9, we're told that as Paul goes out, he's getting letters to the synagogues in Damascus because he wants he's he's breathing out threats and murder. He's on a murderous mission, but on the road to Damascus, which is told in Acts chapter 9, Saul meets someone, and the someone that he meets radically changes his life, so much so that he could say he found joy not in who he was, but in who he is. Acts chapter nine, verses three through five. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And he said, "Who are you, Lord?" And he said, "I am Jesus whom you are persecuting." Paul was radically converted from militant opposer to Jesus to from Saul to Paul, a sent one on behalf of Jesus by the will of God. It's it's an incredible conversion story. And it was so radical that by the end, or by the middle of chapter 9 here, it says, Saul increased all the more in strength. And so we're talking days later. We're talking days later. This is the guy who was murdering Christians and had come to, was on his way to Damascus with breathing threats and murder. And it says by verse 22, Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by doing something. What did he do? By proving that Jesus was the Christ. So not only is he not opposing, he's now. it's not like just God stopped them in his tracks from hurting Christians. It's that he turned him into someone who now was proving to others that Jesus is the only Savior of the world. God's doing that with some of you. God's just so changed you. He's taken you from what you were and made you into something in Christ. He's totally given you a new identity and given you purpose and mission and worth. And now God has used you to tell others, to prove to others who Jesus is. Isn't that amazing? If you're in Christ, you have a new identity. I don't know what your story is. Paul's is an interesting story because Paul was someone who was successful in the eyes of the world. He was highly educated. He was esteemed by the religious leaders of the day which is who were the most esteemed in that, in that day. So, so Paul was someone who had found great success in the eyes of the culture and the world. God knocks him off of his donkey, lightning bolt, stops him in his tracks, radically converts him, gives him a new identity in Jesus, and Paul spends the rest of his life marveling over who he was and who he now is in Jesus. Are you still marveling over who you are in Christ? Are you still amazed over who God has made you to be in Jesus? Are you still marveling over who you were and who you are now? In Paul's case, he took somebody in the eyes of the world and cut him down to size in order to show him his true value in Christ. That wasn't true for many of us. For many of us, We weren't successful in the eyes of the world. In fact, we were shipwrecking our lives in sin. And God did the same thing that He did to Paul. He radically converted us. He radically changed you. You had your road to Damascus. I don't know how you had it, but you at some point, if you're in Christ, you had it. You had a conversion experience. You you went from, from... from being a nobody to having somebody make you into somebody so that you could tell everybody about Him. That's what He's done in your life. Paul's not boasting in himself. He's boasting in Jesus. He's boasting in what God has made him to be. Before he met Christ, he was Saul. He was Saul named after the tallest and, and I think we could say the vainest, the proudest of the Israelite kings. When, when Saul was anointed to be king over Israel, it says they brought him out from the baggage where he was hiding. They brought him out and they said he stood head and shoulders above, above everyone and that he was beautiful and handsome. He was the one. Yeah, we want him. He's big. He's strong. He's handsome. He's everything that we want. Saul got his name from King Saul of the Benjamites. He changes his name to Paul, which means small. He's like John the Baptist. Jesus must increase. I must decrease. I used to be called Saul, named after the biggest and the best and the prettiest and the handsomest, but don't call me Saul anymore. Call me Paul, because I'm small, but God is big. Anybody want to rename themselves? Anybody need a new name? You know what Kenny means? Anybody know? Handsome. And I'd say my parents got it right. But maybe I need a new name to draw attention to who I am in Christ, which was prior to Christ, ugly and in sin, now covered in the blood of Jesus. Maybe I ought to rename myself. Ugly man. Made beautiful by Jesus. What's your name? Paul became small so that God would become great. Paul's opening words celebrate a self which had been liberated by the crushing bondage of ego and given him a new identity in Christ, a new position, a new purpose, a new power. Do you have that? Have you experienced that? This is who we are. We've been delivered from self. And now we are in Christ. And that is intended to bring us great joy. That's the first joy, the joy of a new identity. Then, second, it's the joy of the saints. The joy of the saints. I told you, you're not going to be all impressed you're gonna look at this and say man he didn't really do anything all he did was tell us what he saw right there in the bible yeah that's right i'm just trying to let the bible open up remember those pop-up books as a vision an illustration that just came into my mind you remember those i used to love that when i went into the bookstore my brother and i always went to the pop-up books you know what i'm talking about i don't see them around anymore Pop up books were like when you opened a page and it was like three dimensional and it popped up. That's what I want. I want, we read Ephesians 1, 1 through 3, and it seems kind of flat. All preachers do is try to get it to pop up for you. They just try to talk about it in a way that you go, oh, now I get it. Pop up book. All right? The Joy of the Saints. Paul moves on from a celebration of his new identity, his self to a celebration of others. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, what does he say to them? He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses a word here that would have been shocking to his original hearers. He calls the Christians in Ephesus saints. This is shocking. It's even shocking to us because we don't understand the word saints. Do you know that you, if you are in Christ, you are a saint? Some of you don't know that. Because when you think of saint, you think of like, who's the first saint we think of? I always think of Mother Teresa. That's what we think of of saints. Some of you maybe grew up Catholic. You could name a lot of other saints. So I, I, I saw a girl get into her uh, car the other day and she had a, a thing of rosary beads hanging from the, the, the rear view mirror and, and there was a, a, a prayer that oftentimes they pray to a saint that protects them when they drive. It was a saint. That's what a lot of us think of when we think of saints. It was even worse for the Hebrews when Paul used this word saints in a letter written to pagan Gentiles. He called pagans, saints. He did it. He did it. Wait a second. This is what, the, this is what was in the Jewish mind. The saints were reserved. There was three, three things that could be in the category of saints. One, it was a word reserved sometimes for God's chosen people, which were the Israelites. Secondly, it was, a re- it was a word reserved for God's special servants, namely the priests. Finally, the word saint was used for angels. That's within their mind. Did you guys see the word? This letter Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, which was distributed to the other churches, he says this to the saints who are in Ephesus. They're Greeks. They're pagan. There's no Jewish people there. There's no priests there. And there ain't no angels there. So who the heck does Paul think he's talking to? He's applying the word saint to pagan Greeks. Why? Because they are now in Christ. And that is what they are. If you are in Christ, that is what you are. Paul would say, no, saint is a fitting word to celebrate the miracle of grace that has happened to me and that has happened to all these people that I'm writing to. That's that's the only word I can come up with to fittingly describe who they are now in Christ. They are saints, holy ones, set apart, devoted to God. That's what a saint is. And that description is a description to what has happened in the heart of someone that is in Christ. You still live your normal life, just like the church in in Ephesus. There were a lot of shipbuilders there. They did a lot of fishing and sailing. They were shopkeepers. They were raising their children. All amidst the moral decay of the city of Ephesus. Just living their normal lives, but doing it as saints, whose lives had been inwardly changed by the living Christ. That's what we are. We're just living our normal Everyday lives, though, as saints, those who have been set apart, those who are now holy in the eyes of God, who are devoted to God, just live in our normal everyday lives. You with it? To the saints who are in Ephesus, he says, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So this, he's describing them as saints, and then he says they're faithful. They're faithful. What's that mean? They're just actively believing and trusting God. Calvin said this, no man is a believer who is not also a saint. And on the other hand, no man is a saint who is not also a believer. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a saint. If you are a saint, you are a believer in Christ. Saints, faithful, In Christ, what does that produce? Joy. That's what it's intended to produce. And so Paul greets them, these saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I learned a little bit more about this. I explained this to you once, but I learned a little bit more this week. when, When we greet people, what do we say? When we see somebody, how you doing? That's oftentimes what we say. We don't even usually mean it. Because we're not really wanting to stop and hear how a total stranger is doing. Typically. That's not how the, when you say, how you doing? People don't say, well, now that you asked, I'm having a really hard day. You know, that's rare, right? But we do, we say that, that's our greeting. What's up? How you doing? Hello. The Greeks didn't say, how you doing? They didn't say, what's up? Pasa? They didn't say that. What they said was, kare. It's a word that translates, rejoice. That's what the Greeks said to one another. The Jewish people didn't say that. They didn't say, what's up? They didn't say, how you doing? They didn't say, kare. You know what the Jewish people said? Shalom. You know what shalom means? Peace. So Jewish people extended peace to one another. Shalom. Greeks extended kare to one another. Rejoice. So Paul takes those two two totally different worlds, the Jewish world and the pagan world, he brings them together in a greeting. But he takes the Greek word kare, And he changes it just a little bit. He changes it to charis, which is translated grace. And he brings this new world greeting, grace and peace to everyone who is in Christ. It's a greeting that celebrates how the gospel works. Grace comes first, and then you get peace. Oneness, relationship, reconciliation with God. Isn't that cool? Grace and peace to you guys. Grace came first, now you got peace. Grace and peace. It's a new world greeting, it's an alien greeting. It's what we extend to everyone. Grace, unmerited favor, and peace with God. Isn't that cool? No. You guys aren't into that? (laughs) Grace and peace. All who have it, all who want it, can have it in Jesus. All who want it can have it in Jesus. Are we actively believing and trusting in God? Are we faithful in Christ Jesus? Are we extending grace and peace to everyone? Those who know Jesus, who are in Christ, and those who are not yet in Christ. That's the joy of the saints. The third one, the joy of spiritual blessing. Now this is where you might say, well, you called the the sermon the joy of blessing and you made one of your points the joy of blessing. And I would say, yeah, I did. I, I didn't know what else to do. Because I know blessing is part of this passage. Because I told you to highlight it. So I didn't know what else to do, but I had to hit it. So, because he says in verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, even in the heavenly places. And we'll get in verse four next, next week. So, the first thing he does is he tells us of the joy of a new identity. The second thing he does is he he speaks of, and he writes about the joy that we have in the saints. And then he speaks about the joy of spiritual blessings. The joy that he's speaking about is found in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, important little phrase there, in Christ. Christ. The joy that he's experiencing is because he's in Christ. You know, you can experience all kinds of good things in this world, things that God made for people to enjoy, but you can experience them out of Christ. And when they're out of Christ... You can't truly give him honor and gratitude for the things that he's given to you. And you'll, just like Paul said, you'll start to worship those things instead of worshiping the God who gave you those things. So in Christ is everything. In Christ. See, see, we should be people that are enjoying everything. Paul said it this way everything for the glory of God, whether you eat or whether you drink. You should be doing it in Christ. You should be doing it for the glory of God. If you're in Christ, you receive everything as worship. Now, we don't always live that way, and we forget these things. That's why we need a message on joy. That's why we need a message on Ephesians 1. That's why we need to remind ourselves of these things. That's why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, because we forget. But when you're in Christ, you start to see the world differently. You see the world through glasses that you put on. The glasses that God has put on you are in Christ glasses. And you see the world passing through those lenses. And so you're able to to see God and glorify God for every good thing, every good gift you receive. My family's been watching those planet Earths. The BBC did. You know what I'm talking about? They are just straight up amazing. And now they got these high, these cameras. I mean, I don't know if they taped cameras to these to these uh, monkeys that are swinging through the trees. Like I've never seen footage like this. And some of the animals on the the earth that I will never get a chance to see alive. I'll, never, I'll probably never get a chance to see some of these animals. It is amazing. I mean, if you watch these, if you're in Christ, that turns into, like, I watch that and I think, that was better than my devotions this morning. Like, that is more, like, I'm uh, having this encounter with God. Like, God, you are so amazing. You've created all these little creatures that live all over the world that, that a lot of us never get to see. It just makes me marvel over who God is. His excellencies his, his excellences are eternal, and we will mind them forever and ever and ever and ever in Christ. In Christ changes everything you in Christ in Christ we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places i don 't know this is the, this is the beauty of this text if you the beauty of this text is that It's so otherworldly that you can't quite understand it. You can't figure it out. I'm I'm dissatisfied with this sermon because I feel like I can't adequately describe what every spiritual blessing is in in the heavenly places because I don't know totally what he means by that. And I've never been to a heavenly place, so I can't set, describe it to you. And none of you have been there either. But there's something great and beyond us in this idea of being in Christ and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that merits our meditation. And our devotion and our thinking upon these things because in these things we find weighty so, thoughts that are substantive that actually satisfy us in ways that things we can figure out like video games or, or, or things that we run to, anything, beer, uh, uh, coffee, coffee. Whatever you, Kung Pao Chicken, whatever it is that you believe brings you great happiness, you can figure that out. But you can't figure out what this is. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Someone figure this out better than me and get up and tell us what it is. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. What's the heavenly realm? Well, it's where you're all seated if you're in Christ. (laughs) Go home and think about that. In the heavenly realm, what is the heavenly realm? Well, the heavenly realm is the unseen universe which lies behind the world of our senses. Whoa. Temporally, Temporarily, you are here on earth. Spiritually, you are alive in the heavenly realms with Christ. I I can't explain it, it's too much. Spiritual blessings. It's this, it's the spiritual blessing in the heavenly places means that it's more. God's going to take care of more of us than just our material needs, but He's going to take care of our physical needs too. He's going to take care of our material needs. He's going to do that. Spurgeon said something like this, Jesus gives you spending money on the road to glory. He guaranteed to bring you there, and He's not going to starve you on the way. So He's going to take care of our needs. That's why Jesus said we should pray for our daily bread. He's going to do that. But He's talking about something that's even bigger than that. God isn't just going to make sure we eat good in heaven. He is going to do that. But it's more than that. These spiritual blessings are things like this, things that we have to think about, things that are heavy, theological words. What exactly does this mean? Spiritual blessings are this, holiness, adoption, forgiveness. You've been redeemed. The Holy Spirit has filled you. You now are friends with Jesus. Spiritual blessings are this, what Paul speaks about in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are spiritual blessings. The Christian life is one that we spend growing in our understanding and appreciation and devotion to these things that God has given us. So what do you got to do? You got to do a couple things. You got to believe it. You got to believe that God has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing. It's more than just believe it. You got to grab a hold of it. And that's easier said than done. We've got to think on these things. What he's telling us is that Jesus is actually there literally. And we are there, when I say there, in the heavenly places. Jesus is there literally. That's We talked about the ascension. That's where he ascended to. He's there. We are there representatively as members of his body. He is there, our head and brings our presence with him how do you know that because we're in him we're in christ thinking about heaven and where you're headed will motivate energy for earthly actions that you got to do today i don't think about heaven enough do you Do you think about where you're headed? Do you think about where you're being represented in Christ right now? Do you think about that? We should think about these things. We've got to believe these things. The way to believe them is to focus on them. Paul is encouraging us to focus on these things. He wrote this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit that we would have it, that we might chew on it, that we might think on it, that we might ponder it and allow these truths to seep into our hearts in ways that truly satisfy us. So we focus on these things. Paul said it this way to the Colossians. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Focus on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on... What did he say? Do you know what he said? Set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. But this is why we're so unsatisfied. Because we set our minds on earthly things, and earthly things are not intended to satisfy you eternally. Only heavenly things can do that. When you get this right, you can, be, you can go through trial. You can go through difficult times when you get this. You can be in a jail cell writing one of the most celebratory letters ever written. Why? Because Paul just realizes, I'm just on this earth temporarily. I know where my home is. I know where I'm headed. This is going to come to an end. Where I am is in Christ. Where I am is with Christ. Therefore, I can say, celebrate. But Paul, you're in jail. I know, but I'm in Jesus, and that changes everything. And I used to be not in Jesus. But now I'm in Jesus, he's changed my identity, and that's what I'm setting my mind on, and nothing's going to steal my joy, and whether I'm experiencing blessing or in a season of deprivation, I feel the same. I'm filled with joy because I'm in Christ. I want that. Don't you guys want that? What's your mind set on? What are you guys setting your minds on? What are we as a church setting our minds on? We're setting our minds on temporary things. We're setting our minds on earthly things. Sex and money, and and great jobs. Should we do those things? Yes, we should. But they're not what we set our minds on. We got to get up in the morning, set our minds on Christ, and then go to work. I think that we too often—I could like to do a whole sermon on this—that you guys think that I think we think that that what it means to set our minds on Christ is to be. Something weird that like, doesn't go to work, that just sits and thinks about Jesus all day and, and thinks about church all day. No, you got to get up and go to work. And Jesus is expecting you to go and do a good job there and represent him, rep the king there at work. So what do you do? You get up in the morning, set your mind on Christ, and that the fact that you're seated in heavenly realms, then get to work on time and do a good job. what's your mind set on focus on spiritual blessings and then i think finally we should just ask for those blessings when i say finally i'm talking about spiritual blessings what do we have to do we got to believe them we got to focus on them and then we got to ask for the holy spirit to work in our lives so ask for increased power and fullness of the holy spirit that you might remember that you are holy in Christ, that you might remember your adoption, that you might remember you're forgiven, that you might remember you've been redeemed, that you might be filled with the Spirit, that you might remember your relationship with Jesus, that He might fill you with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. All of those things. That's what we're praying. Let me ask the band to return because we're going to sing. The fourth thing. The fourth thing that brings us joy. I've mentioned the joy of a new identity. I've mentioned the joy of the saints. I've mentioned the joy of spiritual blessing. And I'll end with this, and I'm going to end very quickly. It's the joy of God. Paul said it this way in verse 3. I'm going to go back up. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying that to be in Christ and to enjoy all the blessings that are in Christ has a source. Where does it all come from? It comes from God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It all comes from God. For Paul, theology always leads to doxology, worship. He thinks rightly so that he might act rightly. Doctrine that he's teaching us should always lead to devotion. These two things go hand in hand. Do you want to be passionate about Jesus in a way that's actually substantive and lasting? Well, then you meditate on all that you are in Him. Theology should lead to doxology. Doctrine should lead to devotion. Right thinking leads to right actions. I started with a quote of Bain Franklin. He said, Beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. No. Someone might say, Well, Good food is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. No, that doesn't quite get it. Sex is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. No. Jesus is proof that God loves us and wants us to be eternally happy. Amen. Let's stand and worship.